If you've got your Bibles there, turn to Daniel 2. We've got two readings, Daniel 2 and a little bit from Luke 20. If you don't have a Bible, please go grab one from the back of um, the church. If you don't own a Bible, take that one and it's yours. Okay? We want to make sure that people have got God's Word at hand all the time. But Daniel 2, I'm going to read from the first 23 verses. It goes like this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. The astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and reward and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this that I have decided is firm. If you do not tell me the dream, then there is just one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Then the astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heavens concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And heading over to Luke chapter 20, it's picking up at verse 9 to 19, says this. Speak, this is Jesus speaking. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? 
I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the, de- the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir. They said, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and he will kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because he knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Well, good morning, folks. My name's Rob Owens, and gee, we're in for a treat this morning as we continue to work through Daniel. Now, in regards to countries in the world, what is a superpower? I remember as a teenager in the early 80s uh, thinking that Australia was safe because Bob Hawke was good friends with Ronald Reagan. You see, Ronald Reagan, he was the president of the USA, and the US was the superpower country. So, of course, the US would protect us little Aussies. But what makes a country a superpower? Wikipedia says it's a country that has strength in geography, population, economy, resources, military power, that's a big one, and national identity. Now, what do you think are the top five superpowers of today? The World Population Review says USA is still there, number one, two, China, three, Russia, four, Germany, and number five, Britain. A couple of facts about USA that put them at number one still. In 2020, their GDP, their turnover was $21 trillion, uh, compared to Australia, we're $1.3 trillion. China, but it's growing, its GDP is $14 trillion. An interesting one here, the US, their military budget is $778 billion. This is higher than the next 10 countries all added together. So they spend massive amounts on military. Some say, however, that the US is on a downward spiral because of their debt and their increasing immorality. Their debt, for example, it's 30 trillion. It's actually higher than their annual GDP. And every three seconds, they go into a further $100,000 in debt, the country does. Now, each of these superpower countries, they dedicate big resources to intelligence agencies. Why? Because these intelligence agencies, they collect foreign information, especially on military issues, that helps keep the country powerful. Now, examples are, you would have heard of in the US, CIA, uh, Britain have MI6. Now, why am I telling you about superpowers and their intelligence services? Well, today, as you saw from the kids' talk and the Bible reading, we're going to continue our series on Daniel. And we're going to look at chapter 2. 
And from this chapter, we're going to answer the question, which superpower has the most intelligence? And the application from that will be, which superpower, therefore, are you and I going to trust? How about we pray and we'll ask God to help us with that. Lord, thank you for your word, uh, the Bible, which is one big story which points to you as the owner of all superpowers. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us this morning to really get that, that we see that in Christ, who is your king of the eternal superpower. And help us too to be able to uh, learn things this morning from you, to put that into practice as we go out into Wagga this week. Amen. Now last week, Daniel's, uh, Tim, Tim Flint set the scene for us from General 1. We saw that the ruling superpower was Babylon. Now to give you more context about the ancient superpowers of that time, have a look at the screen. So the Babylonians were around 720 to 530 BC, and that's where Daniel, he was living under their rule. Notice that the BC dates, they overlap between these three superpowers because as one is in power and declining, the next one will be rising, and so there's overlap. Now Daniel, he's a Jew, and he's in exile from Judea, that's Israel, and he's now a POW in Babylon. And if you're interested in geography, Babylon is in Iraq, modern-day Iraq. It's about 85 kilometres south of Baghdad. Well, that's where it used to be. So Daniel finds himself around 600 BC, and he's able to look back at history, and he saw the decline in the Assyrians and the rise of the Babylonians. But later in his life, Daniel will also witness the decline of the Babylonians and the rise of the Persians. Now to help us to remember these ancient superpowers and better understand Daniel's situation, we'll parallel these with some modern countries. So if we look at the slide, slide three, we'll see the Assyrians, they're a past superpower. So it's a little bit like Britain for us. And the Babylonians, we can say they're a little bit like the USA in that they're the current superpower. And the Persians, looking ahead, they, an emerging superpower for Daniel's time, would be maybe a bit like China for us today, which is a growing superpower. So let's get into Daniel, chapter 2, and investigate. Remember, our big question is, which superpower has the most intelligence? So if you've got your Bibles there, we'll read from Daniel 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. So King Nebuchadnezzar, actually I might call him Neb today because I'm a bit lazy with names. King Neb, the most powerful man on the planet, he was scared. Why? He had a dream and his mind was troubled. 
Now, there's something we need to understand from their culture here to help us realise why he was so troubled. In those times, dreams were considered to come from the gods. Like, you know, today we have dreams and mostly they're considered from our own subconscious. So they come from within. So you might dream about something you did that day. Whereas for in the ancient culture, they strongly believed that dreams came from without, from the gods, and came in. So therefore, they strongly believed that's the way God spoke to them, the gods spoke to them. Now, King Neb, surprisingly, he was a very religious man. He prayed regularly to his god, Marduk. Also, his name... Nabu or Neb means the Babylonian god of wisdom. So hence for Neb, his dream's really important. What are the gods saying about my future? And the text in Daniel 2 later seems to indicate that Neb, he not only doesn't know what the dream means, but he can't even quite clearly remember what the dream was. So Neb, he's got sweaty palms. He's a bit worried. So he summons his magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and astrologers to help him out. Now this group, they were were actually on the king's payroll. They were like a modern day cross between, say, a political advisor and an intelligence agency. These were the men that Neb goes to to tell him what the gods have told him. So let's read on and see what happens between King Neb and his advisors. We'll go from verse 2, Daniel 2.2. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll interpret it then. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I've firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But... If you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards of great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. And then there's a bit more to and fro in between them. And then the astrologers say, we can't do this. And verse 12, jump down to verse 12. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to have them put to death. This king is angry, isn't he? He's furious. Do you think it would make seven news today if Scott Morrison announced that he was going to round up all his advisors, put them in jail for life and remove all their wealth? simply because they could not tell him what he was thinking? It sounds incredibly unreasonable, doesn't it? However, remember, King Neb, he's he's a dictator. He leads the most powerful country of the known world and he can do what he wants. 
So no one can tell the king what his dream was, and it means he's going to have them cut up and their houses turned to a pile of rubble. Now I think such that kind of demand, you tell me what I dreamed, I think that's unheard of in the Bible other than here. Well, the astrologers certainly think so. Have a look at verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, There's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. So we might remember back to Genesis 41, uh, Pharaoh's dreams. He told Joseph what the dream was and then God gave him the interpretation. But not King Neb. Possibly he's getting tired of his advisers. They're living off the king's treasures, making up stories, telling him lies, buttering up, keep the boss happy. Maybe the king's tired of it. He wants to see value for money from his advisers. So it's quite clever what he's done in saying, if you're connected to the gods, you should be able to tell me what I dreamed. You're my intelligence service. Tell me, what did I dream? And the advisors are petrified because they can't do it and their heads are on the line. We'll enter Daniel. Let's read what happens next from verse 14. Now remember, as we read this, remember that Daniel, he is one of the king's advisors. He's been trained up in the Babylonian culture and he too is now on the king's payroll. So let's see, what's Daniel do? Verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for the king. Verse 17, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God, the God of heaven, and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. So what does Daniel do? Does he go into panic mode? I know I certainly would have. Most powerful man on the planet wants my head to do something that's impossible. Would have you been freaking out? Well, no, Daniel doesn't panic. He, why? Because he has a great trust and therefore a connection to the owner of all superpowers. Take note again, what, what does Daniel say in verse 21? He sees that God is the one, he changes times and seasons, he deposes kings and raises others up, even King Neb. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Daniel trusts in God, the one who put Neb on the throne. Hence, Daniel doesn't go into panic mode. He approaches the king's commander, Arioch, with wisdom and tact. And notice that Daniel's respected in the king's palace so much that he's even granted time to go speak directly to the king, which is incredible in those times. And even more amazing, the rash king, who's just been through a kill-all-advisors tantrum, he gives Daniel more time to answer the king's demand. And then he gets his friends to get on their knees and pray to God and plead with him, the God who does have all the intelligence, to reveal the mystery. Wow. So just a little application here. How do we go when the pressure's really on, like really bad? Recently, because I chose not to be COVID vaccinated, I nearly lost a job I really love. I love my job at the council. I was just hanging on by my fingertips. Now this this pressure sent me into quiet panic mode. You know, the waking up at 2am in the morning to do a wee and then not being able to go back to sleep. Worrying, lying there thinking, what do I do? How am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to feed my beautiful family? And it took weeks of worrying like this. And Belinda said I looked like someone had been in the ring with Mike Tyson because of the lack of sleep. And it took weeks before I actually thought, huh, why don't I get on my knees and pray? So we can learn from Daniel here. Get on your knees straight away. And a a big by the way here, um, going to God to prayer straight away doesn't always mean that things will turn out okay. So there's many prayerful Christians around now who've lost their jobs because they didn't get vaccinated. And then even in the Bible, we look, Stephen in Acts 7, he was a very prayerful man. But he was stoned to death for his faith. And even Jesus, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that God would allow so that he didn't have to die. But God gave him the strength to do the Father's will and go to the cross. And Jesus, it's incredible, he wasn't panic-stricken as he prayed for others while he was dying on the cross. Please forgive them. So back to Daniel 2. So God, with his infinite intelligence, he reveals the king's dreams plus its meaning to Daniel. So what happens next? What, what is the dream actually about? Let's read from verse 25. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I've found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Neb what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. 
Verse 29, as your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but that so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Now God reveals to Daniel King Neb's dream. It's an impressive statue. You saw that picture in the kids' talk. It had a head of gold, a chest of silver, a belly and thigh of brass, and legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And in verse 28, Daniel says that God revealed this image to King Neb. It was God. Therefore, it's not surprising that the statue is beautiful and orderly. Uh, It's similar to God's creation in Genesis 1. The Garden of Eden was stunning, it was beautiful, and it was orderly, so there was perfect peace. And you notice the statue. It's beautiful, it's precious metals. And notice that the metals, they descend in order of value, starting at the head of gold and going down to clay. There's godly order there. But the vision does not remain beautiful and orderly. And maybe this is the bit that scared King Neb the most. Look at verse 34. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So the force of the rock, it's so powerful that it smashes the kingdom, so they finally become like chaff. So why why has God given King Neb this dream? What does it mean? What does it mean, all this? Verse 36, this was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the fields and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. But, verse 39, after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. 
as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. So, as you can see on the screen, each part of the statue represents a kingdom, a superpower. The head of gold is Babylon, led by King Neb. The chest of silver is the second kingdom, which we now know as the Persians, which is modern-day Iran. The belly and the thigh is the third kingdom, which we know as the Greeks, and the leg of iron, fourth kingdom, is the Romans. And the feet of iron and clay is still representative of the Romans, but with other cultures living under them, so a mix. Now, the dream, this dream was given during the head of gold time, the Babylonians, remember? So the rest of the superpowers after the Babylonians, it's looking to the future from when this book of Daniel was written. So, this is important. This is important. God is accurately predicting the future rise of superpowers. So, like we now... In 2022, we can look back and see this is exactly what happened. Now, wouldn't the CIA or the MI6 love to be able to do that? Predict the future like God. Yeah, um, China's going to rise up in 2032 and they're going to bump off the US. The communists will rule for 108 years and then NATO will step in. Whoa, imagine if they could do that. God... He certainly leads the number one intel agency. Now, the most important bit of all of this. The statue represents kingdoms that have come and gone. But what is the rock and chaff all about? Verse 44. Don't look at the rock, look at verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold to pieces. So the rock represents a kingdom that will never be destroyed, a superpower that lasts forever. And the God of heaven sets this up. See, like King Neb, he set up Babylon. Alexander the Great, he, he, he set up the Greek Empire. But when God sets up a kingdom, no one can destroy it. And God's everlasting superpower removes all other superpowers. They become like chaff, blown away in the wind. So you can go to Babylon today and it's gone. Even the ruins are covered by desert sand. But how does God destroy all the kingdoms with a rock and set up his everlasting kingdom? How does he do that? Well, it's through Jesus the rock, not Dwayne Johnson, but Jesus Christ. He is the mystery revealed. But how do we deduce that from Daniel 2? Well, we can't. 
But put Daniel 2 into the context of the whole Bible, we can. So throughout the Old Testament, there's pointers to Jesus. That's the cross on the timeline there. And the gospel is the one that ushers in God's eternal superpower. So the timeline up here, it starts with creation and it leads to a new creation. And the cross on that timeline, it represents not just Jesus' death, but his life, his death, his resurrection and his future return, Jesus. Now, I still remember when I first saw uh, this timeline, I was 19 years old in first year uni. I've been going to church all my life, but it was the first time the penny started to drop that the Bible, it's not two stories, it's not Old New Testament, but it's one story that's interconnected. And this one story is centred around Jesus Christ, the Old Testament pointing forward to him, and then to make sense of life today, we've got to look back to him. So Jesus is central to this one story. And because the Bible is one interconnected story, it's actually quite fun and revealing to chase themes throughout it, to see how it's incredibly all connected together, written over thousands of years, but all the one story pointing forward. You think, wow, God must be behind all this. And one of the themes that's important today that we won't have time to, to do it in detail, but to explore the theme of the rock or the stone throughout the Bible. And just to help, I'm going to look at two today about the rock and how it points or is fulfilled in Jesus. Psalm 118, which is King David's time, 1000 BC on our timeline. And it says in 118 verse 21, Remember looking at the stone or rock theme. I will give you thanks. This is David speaking of God. For you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Then we go forward to Luke 20 and Jesus quotes this psalm when he's telling the story of the parable of the tenants, that parable that Tim read to us earlier in the service. Remember, God's the father, he owns the vineyard. He puts people, tenants, in charge to run the vineyard. And then the owner sends the servants to collect the rent and the tenants mistreat the servants and pay no rent. And finally, the owner thinks, oh, I'll send my son. They won't hurt him, but the tenants kill him. Now, the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus' story in Luke 20, they knew Jesus was talking about them. And they say, may this never be. But Jesus responds in verse 17, and he quotes Psalm 118. This is what Jesus says. He says, he looked directly at them and he asked them, what is the meaning of of that which is written, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. So Jesus is making the link here. He's revealing the mystery that he, 
that his, when people rejected him, which culminated in his death, that is the stone that's being rejected in Psalm 118. However, his resurrection is the cornerstone on which God's forever kingdom is going to be built. So this is the gospel. Superpowers will rise and fall because of it. And people will also rise and fall because of Jesus the rock. So Luke 20 verse 18, it says, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. This is people who will rise. How will they rise? Well, a humble, repentant person like Daniel is a person who is broken by their sin. Whereas the second half of that verse 18, it says, anyone on whom, that's the rock, Jesus, falls will be crushed. This sadly is the other side of the coin where people who continue to reject Jesus, they will fall and be crushed by the rock and receive the punishment for their own sin. Right, so let's, let's start Let's take a breath and we'll summarise what we've wrestled with so far in Daniel 2. So the question we're asking, which superpower has the most intelligence? And we've answered that God's kingdom does. He reveals King Neb's dream to Daniel. His intelligence perfectly predicts the rise and fall of ancient superpowers. And through Jesus, he ushers in an eternal super kingdom, a superpower, a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Death cannot hold him down. So how should we respond to this? Well, how did King Neb respond? Uh, have a look at Daniel 2, 46 and 47. Then King Neb fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So King Neb, he started off with arrogance in Daniel 2. I'm the greatest. And this quickly turned to fear when he had the puzzling dream. But once this dream was interpreted by Daniel's God, he was relieved. Now, I don't, think, I don't think Neb was repentant, though. He says the right words about God from his head, but his heart's still not in it. For in the very next chapter of Daniel, which we'll look at next week, King Neb orders that everyone bow down to a 90 feet high image of gold. But Daniel's response in contrast to King Neb is one of humility. While Daniel is still fearful about the possibility of losing his head, he falls on his knees and pleads to God to have mercy and reveal the dream. And this repentant, humble attitude of Daniel's is further confirmed in Daniel 9. For even though Daniel is a good man, he prays the following prayer in Daniel 9.4. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands. So in humility, Daniel counts himself as a sinner, even though he's a pretty good bloke. 
Okay, so how are we? We've seen how Neb and Daniel have responded to God. How are we going to respond to the God of all intelligence? Which superpower are you and I going to trust in? Maybe it isn't the USA or NATO or the CIA or Scott Morrison, but we all put our trust in something. Possibly it's in ourselves, on my own little superpower. Why, Scott Morrison and Craig Kelly and all those MPs, they're idiots. I could run the country better myself, we might think. So I certainly can run my own life. Thank you very much. But we need to humbly repent of such arrogance. All of us sin. We're all deeply flawed and need to plead to Jesus for forgiveness and help. Can I suggest a practical application of humbly asking Jesus for help over the next few weeks? We've got a federal election coming up. How easy is it to make nasty comments about MPs? Oh, he's a worthless piece of beep, 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 beep. And usually we make these comments without all the intel on this person. Often we shoot off after only scanning bias headlines from mass media. How about this election? As followers of the one who has got all the intel, that we talk graciously about our MPs. How about we pray for them? And I don't mean never critique their policies. For sure, we need to be careful and thoughtful about their policies. But what I'm challenging us is with is those nasty personal attacks, the writing MPs off with thoughtful, thoughtless, sinful slander. And I'll finish with this. Jesus, while dying on the cross, he wasn't slanderous of the Jewish and Roman leaders who unjustly crucified him. What did he do? Rather, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, Lord God, you're the owner of all superpowers. We're, we're really, we're pretty small compared to you. But thanks so much that through Jesus, the rock, our redeemer, you have valued us beyond belief. I pray you'd help my friends here this morning and myself respond with a massive gratitude and a real excitement to be able to share the wonderful news of the gospel to our friends this week. Amen.